0: Hello, this is John Bwerie, and welcome to another episode of Community Intelligence, where we explore how leaders engage and build community. In this episode, I'm joined by Matt Peterson, President and CEO of the Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator, who is nurturing the environmentally sustainable technologies of tomorrow. Matt shares with us his professional origins of working on environmental movements with Mikhail Gorbachev and Hollywood celebrities, and how, in his current role, he's creating a community around sustainable tech innovation. Matt, who are you, and how did you end up here at the
1: <laughs> L.A. Clean Tech Incubator or LaCrette Center? Where, where, are, where are we? Well, we're. We're in, physically, we're in the LaCretz Innovation Center that is a 60,000 square foot facility that the city of Los Angeles built uh, and is owned by the Department of Water Power. And my organization that I run, the LA Cleantech Incubator, is the steward of this resource on behalf of the city. So we get a dollar a year lease to be able to sublease the space out to startups and other uh, Contributing members of the clean tech ecosystem, shall we say. So we have nonprofits and, and others that, that sort of complement the work of our clean tech startups that and, operate here. And what is clean tech, if you were to define it clean tech? Well, clean tech is a pretty broad term used in a lot of different ways, but you know, clean technologies, anything that reduces emissions, reduces water use, reduces the environmental impact of uh, uh, things we, whether it's goods, services, um, buildings, uh, vehicles. Um, that's really what it means to to us and we've defined our focus within clean tech we've prioritized zero emissions transportation 100% clean energy and third is a broad category sustainable cities but we're working on defining that to probably focus on circular economy things like fashion and textiles uh, organic waste which is you know food waste etc uh, and then probably resiliency um, some. All in our parking lot, we have four different types of cool pavement mm-hmm. demonstrated um, to see how it operates, how it you know maintains, how it holds up, how it uh, reduces ambient heat ten- temperature, heat gain. So looking at a number of sort of solutions that, that work together.
0: And, and that example, this is more than just an office space that was shared co-working. You're yeah. actually building things here. You have labs. Yeah. You have you have people creating technology yeah, in absolutely. this building.
1: So the, it's not just coming here with an idea and finding a desk to work in, work from. It's creating the hallway connections that happen when you have an open facility like this that people walk in that are like, well, this is a public city-owned building? What this place is amazing, and the excitement and innovation that comes out of, of, of those conversations, whether they're curated or by chance. Um, then we have the prototyping center where entrepreneurs and students create their ideas, you know, manifest their ideas to create the the future by using our water jet that cuts through six inches of steel wow. to fashion a you know a piece of a piece of lighting, a chassis, that then becomes uh, you know, added to the electronics that are put together in our electronics lab, or a new polymer is tested in the wet lab and, and developed, or uh, whatever it might be. Those things uh, happen here, and we see so many exciting ideas come and be created. And you know, Some of our entrepreneurs have raised money for their startup by just walking in the hallways and meeting somebody randomly, so it, that's, that's what's happening here.
0: So this is a community in and of itself. Incubator here is about developing ideas, but also developing that community around shared ideas and this vision for a sustainable, zero-emission, 100% clean energy future. Yep. Is that? That's is it. The you got it. Put? Yeah. Our mission's inclusive green
1: economy, but I like the way you put it. Thanks. Well,
0: how did you get here? I mean, so this isn't your first rodeo. You're not, you know, yeah. oh, let me, let me talk about sustainability when I took this job a yeah. couple of years ago. What, yeah. Are you from L.A.?
1: I'm not. I've lived in Los Angeles since 1991. Uh, uh, I, I started working in um, electoral politics down here and, um, until 1992, well, just a year and a half. But when you're young, it seemed like an eternity. Um, ran a congressional race in 92 and just stayed. I uh, went to grad school at USC. My goal was to run a nonprofit when I got done with my MPA. Got hired to run a nonprofit a month into the program. and. Um, Uh, Then uh, left that organization in 94, when I got done with grad school, uh, and then ran an organization for 19 years called Global Green, which was the American affiliate of Mikhail Gorbachev's Green Cross International. And that was an exciting place for a young person to, you know, not just lead a nonprofit, but to learn.
0: So it existed already. They brought you in though to run it. I was or, the first, you...
1: first executive director. Oh, yeah. you, you created it. I was a, essentially a, co- yeah, yeah. a co-founder. Co-founder, and absolutely. And 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 it was uh, sort of a ground up operation. Um, and uh, you know, I used to be able to I would advance, I would prepare and advance Gorbachev's trip as well as be as negotiate his media interviews uh, uh, to you know set up his political meetings that wow. were related all to our environmental agenda, obviously. Right. Um, But it was pretty heady, exciting stuff as a young man.
0: How did you navigate that? How did you navigate the climate of what the world was like then with an international leader on the forefront of sustainability and environmental issues when it is not as prevalent as it is today? Yeah. uh, 30 years later, 25 years later. What was it like then in terms of who you were interacting with and what the reception was to the ideas you were promoting?
1: Yeah, I mean, in those early days, we were focusing a lot on nuclear and chemical weapons um, destruction and non-proliferation, as well as um, you know climate change and things like energy-efficient buildings and solar power and uh, electric cars and the like. I would go, like the best way to to describe it is I would go to a cocktail party or party and just people go, well, what do you do? And I would begin to describe what I do and their eyes would glaze over and they, that's nice and they kind of go off to the next conversation. Either they didn't want to deal with it or didn't care or whatever. And I remember um, fast forward, we, um, Michael Bloomberg spoke at a global green dinner in New York when he was mayor and I introduced him and. In, we kind of went back and forth around a joke like, yeah, now you go to a cocktail party, people actually want to talk to you about climate change or sustainability, and and it has changed a lot. Um, And one of the things we did early in those days, like so about 2002, we put out a call for Hollywood to join with the organization Global Green to say to to President, then President Bush, hey, we want you to be our environmental president. We want you to go to this world summit on sustainable development. In Johannesburg, South Africa, uh, that was really important uh, at the time, and uh, represent America. Um, And we ended up getting Leonardo DiCaprio to show up. And that press event we did and the party we did that night ended up getting more, like uh, hundreds of millions of impressions. And it got so much media attention, the White House put out counterspin like, well, Leonardo DiCaprio's not going to this (laughs) meeting, this UN summit. So we we then tried to make the environmental movement sort of sexy and fun. And then the next year we put celebrities into hybrid cars to go to the Oscars to try to popularize fuel-efficient vehicles. You said you
0: only did that for 19 years.
1: Only 19 years. And,
0: And what happened? What was the transition? What were you thinking?
1: Well, I had put a lot of effort into the work with cities um, as a place to create change. We started with a greening affordable housing where we really thought you could improve the condition of low-income families by creating better air quality, lowering their energy costs. We did a lot of work with the city of L.A., a lot of work with Habitat for Humanity, and we started doing the same approach on schools, same with LUSD and then other school districts. And we were always doing both a kind of a project and policy focus. So what can we learn in the project? How do we then inform policy and then use that as leverage to change how buildings are built and maintained and how, more importantly, people live and operate in them? Part of the leverage point was to then begin to work with cities. Along the way, I met a guy named Eric Garcetti when he got elected to city council. He started doing a monthly meeting with environmentalists, which you know I had worked in and around the city of L.A. for you know seven, eight years at that point had never had a council member want to talk to me on a regular basis, right. and I uh, uh, gave him an idea, why don't we create a green building policy so that it requires all cities' buildings to be lead silver or better. He's like, let's figure it out, and they got the pat- policy passed. First big city in America, really only a second or third city to use lead as a policy tool and to require it changes, you know. The building engineer at the time was a little frustrated with us. Like, oh, what are you doing? I mean, we're all building great buildings. you got to put this additional requirement. Now, L.A. is the hero in terms mm-hmm. of the most legal certified square footage of any city in America. Mm-hmm. So, so that, it started
0: as a conversation. Yeah. Is there like, like what's and the... Eric
1: embraced it as a council member and made it happen and, and the
0: other folks sitting around the room do they come with ideas as well or
1: yeah I, you know i can't remember them no, now but no, I, uh you know i think some of them also probably ended up into the yeah. hopper for eric to, so it's as a, a council member collaboration
0: sort of ide- ideation in yeah. these meetings
1: yeah you know and that's where the magic usually happens you know is where you can s- scratch out on a napkin the <laughs> policy idea or over a beer or a coffee or in a room like that or in a hallway at a conference uh, um, or at a community meeting where these ideas come to the fore and you know then I was so impressed with Eric as a young council member that gave him an award a year later even though he was just on the council all over a year but he got this policy passed and I could see great potential in him and so we gave him an award, and Mikhail Gorbachev was there, and it was we gave Leonardo DiCaprio an award that year. So he was amongst all these, yeah. you know, major players and and a, and a couple giants like Gorbachev. Um, so we did to begin our friendship, and, and then a couple of years later, took him to the Arctic Circle with Jake Gyllenhaal, and Selma Hayek, and then a member of the State Assembly. We were going to take Fran Pavli, but she couldn't go. She was Assembly member and passed AB thirty-two. Mm-hmm. Um, But she had to be in New York for a speech, and so she sent another member of the assembly and and then we took a couple of business leaders and we all went up to the Arctic Circle to see the impact of climate change upon uh, the Arctic people and the region. And again, early days of the climate movement, but they were facing the impact of climate change two to three times the rate of the rest of the world. And now we see the Arctic sea ice, of course, you know, it's just devastating what's happening, quickens the whole pace of climate, global warming and intensity of climate, the climate crisis. Um, That really deepened our friendship. And so when, um, fast forward to 2013, when he got elected as mayor, he called me and said, hey, I want you to be the chief sustainability officer for Los Angeles. Wow, okay, that's a big move. Mm -hmm. Um, But he and I had been friends and he had talked, we talked about what else we could be doing. And there hadn't be- been one before. Never one before. Um, and we had talked about over the course of our friendship and his members his time as a city council member, how does LA create a sustainable city plan? How does it create a comprehensive framework? So that was that was the mandate going into to City Hall to create the city's first ever sustainable city plan
0: you seem to have done a lot of firsts sort of you're on the cusp of what's happening what's next (laughs) and it sort of led you to here I mean this this space that we're sitting in Lacey is you said the largest in the world or it's the
1: the largest certainly the largest uh, clean tech uh, incubation co-working space um, that and and certainly the largest for any city related facility like it if you look back and you look
0: forward looking back over your shoulder and looking to what's I mean the future, you still got at least 30, 50 years Thanks left. You're to are Right, yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, but what's coming, what's the next the chapter to this climate crisis? Do you stay here for another 20 years? Um, you know, who or, knows? Or is, is there, there the, something else brewing out there that we should be aware
1: of? Yeah, I, I, I served the mayor for an entire first term, right. and when this opportunity came up, it was, um, it was tough to leave the mayor's office. I figured there was another good year left to work, and one of the big lifts that we had to make was around transportation electrification, particularly with goods movement and trucks. But I really just took that need and, and manifested a solution here, so that's why we created the Transportation Electrification Partnership. It was me, Chair of Carb, Mary Nichols, then President of Edison, Ron Nichols, may he rest in peace, and um, the former the general manager of the Department of Water Power, we all sat around this table we're sitting at and said, we've got to do something to get people to come together to work regionally to accelerate the progress towards zero emissions, mobility and goods movement mm-hmm. and credit the partnership. And now we're getting major corporations to invest in LA in a way they don't invest anywhere else, time and money. So BMW based in Munich, Yes, their largest urban market for their car sales is L.A. But they don't have any policy or technical staff here. So we get, they're flying in folks from, you know, Sacramento or Silicon Valley where they have relevant staff or Munich to participate in a conversation with Mary Nichols or their CARBs technical staff and the mayor's current CSO, Lauren Faber-O'Connor or um, Metro's CEO or whomever to talk about, all right, how do we get, more momentum on uh, electric cars and how do we get the charging where it needs to be And so we're really using this platform this facility is, is is allowed us to be a convener and so how do we build on that
0: and it seems like that's what you've done sort of in this narrative here of what you've done all along is you've brought people on so what's the secret how, what are your what are your approaches to bring people into something that may be unknown to them besides taking them to the Arctic Circle firsthand right how do you get people to join, from celebrities to politicians to adopt policies to people just to sit around and say, Let's, how do we solve this?
1: How do you bring them in? Well, you've got to find a, a shared sense of purpose. Um, that's always core. And number one is the commonalities. And once you have that, how do you also, one of the, I think the, you know, you, you need, you, if you have a shiny object, it helps a little bit sometimes. So in the case of working with Mikhail Gorbachev, it was the former Soviet leader. Um, which allowed us to bring people to the table that wouldn't otherwise have engaged with us Um, and that then translated into our ability to work with you know some leaders in the entertainment community and whether it was Leo or Brad Pitt we worked together in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina where we did you know Global Green opened up a whole office and built a team of 15 there and did tremendous amount of work uh, to help the city rebuild Um, but it is, is again? You've got to have a and you've got to have a compelling idea. Number one, um, and and that's probably the first thing to start with. And Then that's your your sense of common purpose is who else shares that commitment to that compelling idea and solution uh, to a challenge uh, that uh, connects to people on a human level as well as a, as a scientific or technical level. It can't just be one or the other. Uh, in my my experience, and then. I think one of the secret sauce aspects is find someone who's an unexpected partner who others value like oh wow i didn't think about that i didn't think about that you were able to get x to be able to come and figure out how to do y with you and your partners and that's that's also part of you know it doesn't always work you can't get unexpected partners or somebody who maybe was reluctant before to actually engage. Have you ever
0: tried something really hard, really gone far down a path and then realized it's not going to work and had to either scrap or start over or or just abandon?
1: You know when you make it that far where you're down the path where you, 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 uh, you, the short answer is yes of course. (laughs) Um, The long answer is if you've made it that far that the ideas come to life, you've gathered the resources, you've gathered the people, you've gathered the projects and you're making progress towards that goal you've set together you've got to pivot like you it's never you never want to abandon okay a ship um look the, the closest example to to having to ban is in in new orleans after katrina uh we had this <clears throat> we, we came i went in with three ideas it was like i watched the coverage after the, the storm in 2005 august 29 2005 with horror like how could we abandon our own people. Every level of government, local, state, federal, failed our own nation and our own people. It was mortifying for all of us and we ended up going through that kind of grief process and disbelief was, all right, what can I do? We can give a family a place to sleep. We can, oh, I could adopt a nonprofit and help them come back, but then really sort of kept feeling something well up and root, work through me that was bigger than me and came up with this idea to rebuild New Orleans to be the first green city in America through greening of the schools, greening of the rebuilding of the housing, and adopting a neighborhood. Long story short, raised money to, to hire a staff and bring some people there. Got a $2 million grant from the Bush-Clinton-Katrina Fund to green the schools and led to greening of $2, uh, $2 billion in school construction, all at least are lead certified, healthier, better, daylight, all that. Well, along the way, I met Brad Pitt and said, I've got this idea to adopt a neighborhood and why don't we work on it together? And he wanted to do a design competition, so we did. And that led to a project, Global Green Build. He went off after that and did his own project in Lower Ninth Ward that you know, had its challenges and, but also successes. And uh, we built five single-family homes and a community center. But the piece that I had to let go of was a 20-unit apartment building current Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana was treasurer of the state, didn't want more affordable subsidized housing in New Orleans. He was a conservative Republican, sort of took himself to be a, you know, a budget hawk and took away the money we had after i had done all the difficult architecture of funding a tax credit investor and other partners and da 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 took the money the state had put in and spent it on housing elsewhere in the state. That was tough, you know, and so, uh, that was— I probably could have read the writing on the wall sooner and given up, but I, it was hard to let go of yeah. when you feel like you made a commitment to a community and to people. And, and so what happened?
0: when The reaction was the blame to you? Was the, They realized what the politics
1: of it? I think most people, yeah, saw the politics of it. Um, there was no blame. The, it took a while for the organization to get the community center completed that had to be finished after i left and went to the mayor's office but it got done and now it's open and being used and we, we, while i was there we got the five single family homes built and sold and teachers and nonprofit staff and others right. live there and they get 24 dollar a month energy bills in the middle of new orleans summers <laughs> wow and it's
0: interesting you know as you think about tech and clean tech and you think about innovation you're thinking about a lot of hard technical work it may, not be, it may be fun for the person working on it, but if you're an observer, this stuff is highly technical, highly sophisticated, um, may or may not work, but it's for the purpose of the people. Mm-hmm. Right? We're using very brilliant minds to solve complex problems uh, that take many partners. How do you connect that work and that brilliance and that solution to the people who need it? You mentioned a little bit about New Orleans and, and creating you know uh, energy-efficient homes and that, that adopting of a neighborhood. But if you come back to hear the work today, yeah, in in, uh, in the you know almost 2020, what's the? How do you connect with the people here that you're serving? It's this municipal facility, right? City owns it. There's a, there's four million residents in Los
1: Angeles, and how do you make sure that the work being done here benefits them? Great question. The way that we make sure the work we're doing here benefits the residents of Los Angeles and the city, but also more broadly in the region, is that. We're here first and foremost to help clean tech startups come to market, iterate and grow their businesses as a way to solve the climate crisis and to create an inclusive green economy, meaning how do we include everybody in the workforce, empower new entrepreneurs of the future, et cetera. So the way we're doing that is getting opportunities for startups to deploy solutions in disadvantaged neighborhoods, disadvantaged communities that suffer from disproportionate air pollution, from, suffer from d- disproportionate disinvestment as well as lack of, you know, just historical lack of investment, um, and bring them, in, let's say, uh, a car sharing, EV car sharing program to bring them a um, electric scooter uh, service. So, you know, Bird and Lime are not necessarily taking their scooters to some of these disadvantaged communities, these lower income neighborhoods. They're dropping them off in Arts District in Santa Monica, you know, or those types of neighborhoods. So we, well, I went to friends in the legislature who support Lacey and said, "Why don't we create, you know, two things? One, uh, uh, a pilot program where we can deploy zero-emission mobility pilots in top 10% disadvantaged communities, which is you know based on the Calvira screen, So using a, an existing framework that prioritizes neighborhoods that would be eligible, and then we." Call to our startups and other in our portfolio we work with, um, and others in the ecosystem, and say, "Tell us your ideas and communities. Tell us what your needs are." So we got two million dollars from the state legislature in the budget that we then allocated to pilots and then to create a workforce development program. So the pilots, we've selected four communities. They apply, or you they applied. Them? So we had 19 yeah. communities apply, right? Saying, "What are your pain points for?" mobility and air pollution, roughly. It's more complicated than that, but that's roughly what we asked. And then technology providers through startups, what solutions would you have that would be appropriate for a low-income neighborhood? And we then did some analysis and matchmaking. We picked four four neighborhoods, uh, Pacoima, Long Beach, San Pedro, and Huntington Park. So now we're working with the community-based organizations the tech providers to put the solutions in place uh, that will bring these benefits to these communities. So that's a tangible way where we're taking the startup technology and solution, bringing it directly to the community, and then what we're doing in parallels, we're doing job training and workforce development, we're pairing those those, those those basically apprentices with the startups to then work in these neighborhoods to install and operate. These solutions. And how do you get the community to have
0: buy-in? I mean, oftentimes, so someone applied a nonprofit, a government agency, perhaps, or a partnership combination applies of the 19. You select four. How do you go back out now? There's a lot of people who have no idea this is happening, but they might get the benefit, or they might even want to yeah. be involved in the. Yeah. How do you how do you get in there?
1: Well, you've got to you've got to have um, the community-based organization or your partner play a role, obviously, in educating the neighborhood and the community about it, because you don't want this to be a surprise. A, B, you want them to use it once it's in place. You've invested this time and money and you don't want it to sit there. So, you know, whether it's passing a policy or getting a project in place, too many people put their attention on just getting that policy passed, a law passed, or an ordinance passed, or a project in place. You've got to focus on how do you get... Acceptance and adopt, and then adoption and implementation and wide you know, use of it. So we're we're building that into our partnership of how do those community-based organizations help us do the marketing and education, uh, and then in, uh, in, in as well as is looking at how we provide some additional resources to make sure you know we iterate. And, and learn along the way. And as
0: a pilot, is there evaluation? I assume built in, or how does that work? So you say, okay, come back a year later and say, did it work? Do we know? Have we? Yeah, have, have, you actually, we're, we're, have you actually? Have actually gone through that whole process we yet? We
1: only have on the campus pilot. So okay. in, in the camp, on the in the building, you will see different startup technologies that have been in, implemented and integrated into, you know, water monitoring or uh, uh, lighting technologies, etc. So we're seeing how they work or don't work. And, and that's feedback for the startup, but it's also a way the Department of Water and Power wanted to learn from uh, how the startups working here, and that's one of the reasons they justified the investment, is to get new ideas for the Department of Water and Power and the water and power system. So, and then we also have some pilots we're doing around the campus, same sort of thing. We're seeing what works, what doesn't, in testing. You know, our, we have BMW's first electric scooter, first time they've ever deployed it, in, we think the world, but certainly North America is here at this campus. It's not a cheap scooter, but it's a beautiful, you know, heavy duty, you know, electric scooter. Uh, And then we also have more of a traditional, you know, what you'd see on the road now, scooter that you can loan out for free if you're a campus member. And we're seeing what works, what doesn't. So we're gonna take that same approach uh, as we do these community pilots, is what's working, let's get some feedback and then iterate.
0: Where do you see, the next move of, of community embracing these i mean, these technologies. We know that oftentimes people say, well, I don't want to give up the modern convenience. I don't want to have to stop flying. I don't want to have to stop you know, driving just because, I don't want to have to stop eating the food I want because it's delicious and it's, but now I've been told that I shouldn't eat that anymore. How do we get more of the masses involved in understanding the choices they're making and realizing that they, I, I, I assume, I don't know, maybe they don't have to realize this, that they have a role to play and it's not mm-hmm. about giving up life mm-hmm. it's about choosing making some choices that affect them and the world
1: you know it's always been a challenge is is how to get people to pay attention and and focused a lot on efforts to engage the public to you know at the time to drive a hybrid car or or to bike or walk or take the bus or whatever it is to call to action i mean all these things matter and did this in the mayor's office to try to get the public to conserve water. Um, so you need a sense of urgency and a sense of of of, of, of hope. Um, you do need a little bit of sense of fear. I mean, always, you know, with the extreme drought, there was that uh, reality. Like, okay, the worst case, how do we you know, make sure we we don't have a problem with our um, um, we we never were in a crisis mode where we weren't going to get water in LA, but. Um, other places in the world we've seen that that's that's a challenge and including some cities in the united states in california in the extreme drought so challenge solutions call to action Uh, and we hit a a water conservation target that experts like mark gold thought was just wow that's laughable that's way too aggressive um how are you going to get there um and Mark will tell you he's pleasantly surprised when we were able to get to 20% per capita water reduction within a year and a half, and we did it by creating a public campaign. We did it by putting another uh, incentive in place to get people to tear up their front lawns if the only person that w- walked across it was a person that mowed it and put in drought-tolerant landscaping. We did a number of things that that achieved helped us achieve success, um, and the same thing back to the Prius. I mean, it was. Toyota was putting it out there, partially as response to California policymakers. Um, we 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 you know we were open to any car maker giving us their their hybrid car. They were the one through the dealership that lent us to us to us. It was part became a meme that a cultural meme at the time where. I had friends saying, "Hey, my Republican mom in Oregon saw that that coverage and decided, you know what? If celebrity can drive a hybrid car, I can, and I get to save money. It so works. it 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 can work. Yeah. Um, and individual action does add up. It does, you know, the power of the pocketbook, of course, the power of the, what you you know your vote. Um, these all matter. Um, and we need government and corporate leaders." to make it foolproof that, yes, we need to make that electricity system 100% clean energy. Yes, we need to move to 100% clean uh, transportation through electric vehicles. So it's got to be both.
0: Great. Let's move on to our lightning round. I've got a couple questions here. Just the short answer, the first thing comes to mind. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Who's a leader who has influenced you and your work?
1: Probably I would have to say Mikhail Gorbachev, just because he was such an influential figure in my late 20s and early 30s. So
0: So what book has changed the way you think about the role of community in your work?
1: Two books were seminal for me. One was Paul Hawkins' Ecology of Commerce. The other was Daniel Quinn's Ishmael, and uh, one nonfiction, one fiction. Uh, Ecology of Commerce showed me how you know, the the depth of interconnection, not just in the natural ecosystem, but in our literal community of, of cities and neighborhoods. And I think Nishmael was um, influenced me at just about the interconnection of, of of systems and institutions and how they impact us and sometimes limit us, sometimes empower us. What's the
0: most surprising finding that one of your pilots at Lacey has
1: found? Well, I think one of the most surprising things one of our pilots here found is is not really a pilot, but was um, our startup Ampair got their electric airplane in the air recently. Wow! And you know there was a line in one of the Iron Man movies where Tony Stark sees Elon Musk and Elon's trying to talk to Tony and says, "I've got an idea for an electric airplane." Well, these guys have an idea that actually they put in the air for an electric airplane. That's amazing.
0: Uh, What's the first place you turn to for information when working with a new community?
1: There's always the first step of just education and and doing some reading, but then the real intelligence comes through finding a community leader or an authority who can give you the nuance and insights that you just can't get from reading anything.
0: Perfect. Uh, What advice would you give 25-year-old you?
1: (laughs) Don't suffer and sweat the small stuff. (laughs)
0: What can our listeners do to contribute to a clean tech future?
1: Well, look at the ways you could integrate clean tech into your life or business. Um, you know, obvious steps like solar. Now there's storage to add to that, more important than ever. Driving a zero emissions vehicle, changing their behaviors, and trying to get out of the car and into the bike or walking or on a bus. But um, uh, uh, those are still the ones that I think come to mind. But um, I think uh, uh, giving us a donation is also an option.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what's the best career decision you ever made?
1: You know, there was a leap of faith when I took the job at Global Green. Um, even though Mikhail Gorbachev was involved, it really you know the path wasn't clear. But that was great. But I think the best career decision by far in a Yes, a black and white situation was, was, you know, saying yes to Mayor Grossetti to take the CSO role.
0: And finally, what so far has been your proudest professional moment?
1: Well, that's easy. It was electing my dad as county superintendent of schools in 1990 against the three-term incumbent. And my dad, uh, I was his campaign manager, and he served 16 years in a way that... um, just really enriched the lives of kids in Stanislaus County and used his leadership mantle to affect policy statewide.
0: Great. Well, Matt, thanks so much for spending some time with us and sharing your approach to working to change the future and work with communities. Thanks so
1: much. Thank you, John.
0: Thanks Thanks for listening to Community Intelligence. And for more information on this and other episodes, visit our website at stratoscope.com. At Stratoscope, we provide community intelligence services to businesses, nonprofits, and government agencies. Let us know how we can help you.